Welcome to Storyboard. I'm Lars. I'm Meg. We reappraise overlooked movies and TV and pitch films that need to be made. In honor of the new year, we thought we'd explore directors that are new to us. We'll be reporting back on our findings, and we'll also see if we lived up to our 2019 mood board aspirations. We've exhausted all the good original movie pitches, so we'll be pitching the worst movie we can currently come up with, and we'll leave you with a few items that have been on our cinematic radar. Pull up a chair, baby. Well, it's time to grade ourselves on the homework we assigned, <laughs> like true goody goodies. Yeah. At the beginning of last year, mm-hmm. in episode nine, nine I think, uh, where we set out our mood boards for the upcoming year, mm-hmm. and kind of had some themes we wanted to focus on yeah, in just, film watching. Or yeah, to like ta- exp- explore. I think we just wanted to talk about. At that point, we were doing five movies a piece. Anyway, um, I think we just wanted an excuse to talk about five movies we liked. And so we're like, we'll do a mood board. And so to kind of like an aspirational, you know, thing for the 2019 to focus on. But really, I think we were just like, these are five movies I like. Yeah. Okay. But uh, just to double the homework load, we thought we would say, like, did we live up to our uh, resolutions? It's the assessment piece of the project. That's an important part of project management. Exactly. (laughs) I like to know if I lived up to my, like, loose goals that I sort of set Set for myself. Um, well, if we're going just down the line, yeah. um, I mentioned The Green Ray by Eric Romer, and it was about, like, contemplation and loneliness, and so, I don't know if I should just kind of list, I kind of went through yeah. all my ratings uh, on movie, and so, things that kind of fell into that category, I'm like, okay, I saw Out of the Blue, sorry, it's, a, it's like color name movie, like Green mm. Ray, anyways, Out of oh, the Blue. there's a theme. Oh, hey, there's a theme, yeah. <laughs> color name films um so out of the blue um the short uh a girl she is 100 percent and sleepwalk which is a actually my first sarah driver film i've ever seen it was on movie i was thinking about uh, talking about that uh in this episode but i just thought i didn't have as much to say maybe i'll mention it uh talk about it later but yeah i kind of thought those kind of fell into that category of contemplation yeah Yeah, so i yeah and i loved all three of those highly recommended I definitely, looking at this list of films, I see that I had Starstruck on there. Ooh, yeah. And that's on, um, it's on Canopy? I think it's Tubi. on Canopy. It's, on, it's, it's around a lot it's, of places. Yeah, yeah. And I think I picked it because I was hoping to work my way through this list of Australian oh, yeah. and New Zealand women directors. So um, did you succeed or fail? Nice. Well, I watched some more uh, Jillian Armstrong and Jane Campion movies, but I don't really think I, I don't know if I really expanded from there. I did yeah. see Sweetie and hmm, what Jane Campion I really dug my heels seen? into the Little Women that Jillian Armstrong did. <laughs> like, I really uh, no, doubled I down on how that's the, the real one. Yeah, did you see that there was, there was an interview with her that my friend Pam sent that was like, Talking about how when she made Little Women, she had this no, like no budget. She had to film it all oh, in yeah. Vancouver, BC, and there was basically only one house that even looked old enough to film in. So oh, she yeah. had to do it on nothing. Wow. And they're kind of asking her about the new one. She's like, "Well, it would be have been nice to have like this huge budget. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice." Yeah. <laughs> um, and she wasn't. She was, you know, nice about it. But I was like, "Yeah, wait a minute. Like she, it's like more impressive to do more with less." But mm-hmm. apparently, this Little Women, like nobody went to see it. So that's I its own. did. I did a double feature. Oh, sorry, I meant like um, oh, okay. like in numbers, not oh, necessarily okay, okay. like I was like I did, no but people. it was honestly because James wanted to see it. We did a double feature of that in Uncut Gems. <laughs> so you know, just I love when you do a double feature that makes no, no sense, sense, and no one's ever done that double feature God, before. I read. I mean, we're kind yeah. of getting into radar now, but yeah. Hey, this is loose, loose, loose dudes. dudes. Uh, <laughs> That's I, our catchphrase. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. Our. Imaginary our, podcast name, maybe initially. I'm yeah, not really exactly. Sure. Or just our life's philosophy. Of, yeah, yeah, sure enough. Being a loose dude. Okay. Uh, but I read this really great article in. Let me pull it up. So prepared <laughs> here, but actually, it's really. I'll share the article. Or, wait, I retweeted it to our Twitter. Oh, so all right, there you hey go. guys, get involved. I <laughs> Just to plug our social, I retweeted uh, this article in Jewish Currents where um, the editorial staff of 
the publication met and talked about um, Uncut Gems mm. and what it says about contemporary Jewish identity and sort of representations of Jewish identity and, and the diaspora um, really since the Middle Ages. And it was such a great discussion. And actually, oh, wow. the Softy brothers responded to it. We're like, Ooh. oh, we really love this. And we mm. it disagreed with some pieces, but we just it was a lot on a lot of the themes we were hmm. thinking about. Uh, when we made the movie. And one of the comparisons that the article made that I had not seen anywhere else was sort of um, putting Uncut Gems in dialogue with a serious man. Mm. It's been so long since I've seen that. Yeah, but just sort of two sides of these kind of questions of identity and sort Mm of um, what it means to be like a good man. And I was like, oh, that would be such a good double feature. Okay. That's a tangent. Interesting. But I actually yeah. think they would work really beautifully together. So now I want to see A Serious Man again, and then obviously I'll see Uncut Gems again. Yeah. I was surprised how much I liked it. I don't know why, even though I love Good Time, I was like, I mean, it's the Sandler of it all. I don't know. I, mean, I knew that that and was And you know me in, like, stress movies where, oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even really especially know this going into it, but you know me, like, <laughs> edging my seat in the worst way when someone's just making bad I'm not okay. I'm not even great with my finances, but when someone is just throwing money away or doing just really dumb things, it just makes me crazy. Well, that's like, why I thought no you other. wouldn't like. I was, I was oh. watching him and like, oh, Lars will be too stressed. <laughs> yeah, I was a little stressed out by that, but, but it's so good. That I it... thought it was actually kind of refreshing. Like, yeah. I don't know why this is a very weird little small thing, but like, um, when someone places a bet in a movie and they actually win. Sorry, spoiler alert. Sometimes, you know, he won some bets. But, like, I actually find that refreshing because I'm like, well, sometimes you do win, but in one and way, that's but how then you it massively. Draws, yeah. That's how it draws you in, right? Yeah, that's probably. how gamblers keep mm-hmm. gambling. It's like yeah. you win occasionally and yeah. so, you keep placing bigger bets. Um, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, like, I kind of thought, oh, uh, Little Women, it's going to be like, cute. I just thought it was like, oh, it's going to be like a breath of fresh air. Just kind of, I mean, as far as like, just cute, kind of like yeah. a weird modern take. And I was like, oh, this is like nothing. It was just like, <laughs> just nothing. Like, it was whatever. bland. It was nothing. Yeah. I mean, if you liked it, great. Get, you know, get your life. But I didn't like it. You know, what? I didn't see it. I It's just not my, I don't really like the director and I'm, it's just. I don't yeah. anyway, but uh, my friend really loves the book, and she's the same one who sent me uh, the article about uh, Jillian Armstrong, and mm-hmm. she said that her fix would have been to make it a biopic about Louisa May Alcott, and actually like oh. be like, oh, her like trying to make her way like economically as like a writer mm-hmm. to try to basically just. I mean, tell a different story. Yeah, and like kind of maybe parallel. I don't know how close yeah, her par- life parallels the story. But there's some the pieces that mm-hmm. she, apparently, according to my friend, there's actually some pieces that are kind of similar. So yeah. just like having that, she's like, I just think it would have made it something instead yeah, of basically. Like a reason to exist. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, back to you. Uh, no, um, so I uh, talked about Gap Tooth Women uh, last year by Les Blank. It's just a... Uh, just a wonderful life affirming uh, short about like self acceptance about women like loving their gap teeth. And in February of last year, I just just like a note, I watched three less blank films at Hollywood Theater that mm. like I feel like when I looked up, they weren't even on IMDb. And when something's what? not on IMDb, that's like Ooh. what? Like I, my brain yeah, can't I even comprehend like they how catalog everything. Yeah, so I was like. It's not even on IMDb. Like, what the fuck? It was like, I don't know why that just like freaked me out. And True Stories, that David Byrne film, which I'm sure I'll talk about at some point. But like, I don't, I I know the cover of that. I'd always seen that. And I finally watched it. It was on Criterion. And it is the loveliest movie. I, I'm not even like, just like a huge David Byrne fan or anything like that. It was just like, okay. In fact, that was the reason I didn't want to watch it. Because I was like, I don't know. I don't like him. So I'm sure I'll go into that more uh, in depth at some point. Um, but yeah, so if you want like a nice little life affirming movie, um, those are some some good picks. Some you know less blank uh, shorts or watch True Stories. I think it's uh, still on Criterion, and I'm really getting into radar mode now. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, so it looks like I picked Ruby in Paradise uh, for mine, which is the Ashley Judd film. Mm, yeah, uh, and I think I picked it. Because I wanted more depictions of just women, like working women making their way in the world. Um, And, you know, I've seen a few films that I think fall into that. I definitely think um, Half a Millimeter, 0.5 Millimeter, whatever I talked about (laughs) last episode. Still don't know what to call that. Yeah. Definitely fits into that. Um, I also watched The Forest for the Trees 
um, not that long ago, which is Mara yeah. and Ade's debut yeah. feature. She did Everyone Else, which is often listed in like mm-hmm. the top 10 movies of the 2010s or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and it's about a really awkward high school. T- I mean, it's actually so painfully oh, really? awkward. Okay. It's... it's it's good, but it is difficult to watch. It might be too. Yeah, I know. I'm, like, oh, I'm already getting so. Nervous. Just yeah, somebody who doesn't know when a person doesn't want to be their friend and just yeah. keeps going. It's a whoo. Wait, times. that's uh, it sounds like is it enlightenment? Yeah, enlightened or whatever. Yeah, yeah the, enlightened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Laura Dern. Dern. I know. Just I was thinking about someone that can't read social cues and they just keep going, and I'm like, <laughs> no, no, stop. Okay, but I love it. Um, yeah, I mean, is love, probably better. Yeah, yeah. well, Laura Dern and anything. Yeah, she's golden. This one is interesting because I think it was originally a student film, I feel mm. like I read, and it was on really crappy digital video in the early 2000s, and uh, it's, but it kind of has a similar tone, but I mean, not as good as Ruby in Paradise. Mm. So, you know, still on the, the lookout for such films. Yeah. But... Yes, working women. Well, Daughters of Darkness, uh, I didn't, some of these I didn't write down the year, early 70s, uh, but it's... <laughs> It's one of my favorite genres of stylish, semi-obscure uh, Euro erotica thrillers. It's <laughs> just Ooh. like all those, yeah. And I definitely have. I mean, I watched several. So let's just go down the list here. Yeah. Um, and some of these I almost talked about in other episodes, um, and maybe I'll bring it up later. Um, Opera, the Dario Argento movie, mm-hmm. The Velvet Vampire. One of the best titles ever. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's actually pretty similar to Daughters of Darkness. Just like <laughs> um, beautifully clothed, um, uh, kind of polyamorous, mm. a queer vampire. Um, and Ticket of No Return. That I saw it from Church of Film. Uh, it's a, a German film that is so stylish, and I'm sure I'll talk about it at some point, so I don't want to give too much away. Yeah. But it is top tier, like outfit-wise, vibe-wise. The, the Eyes of Laura Mars, Faye Dunaway, uh, fashion photographer, um, Tokyo Decadence, which I've mentioned on mm. here, and I, I, I need to remember that director and like look more into their stuff because I as I was typing this I was like oh yeah like I never really looked into that director uh, after that and it was a really interesting film uh, definitely a lot of erotica in that oh well. and uh, yeah so oh yeah and also uh, the Rapture um, Arabato, uh, which is a Spanish film from like 1979 that I mentioned on here as well. Um, that just kind of has a, a similar vibe, just kind of like a high concept meta uh, thriller. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely a genre I, I go back to over and over. Yeah. Uh, just basically stylish yeah. movies with maybe like a thriller element. So Looking that, was, good. that was pretty easy for me to make yeah. that my goal. I'm really, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else I really wanted to see. Um, I definitely think kind of related to Ruby in Paradise. I think I have wa- I walk around Moscow as something that I mm. held up as like a mood board. I would say that was definitely an example of wanting to see maybe a, a depiction of community, potentially a kinder, gentler, socialist, mm. realist idea or depiction of just people doing their thing again working people doing their thing so uh in that category probably lahav which is the mm. oh, yeah. maki movie that i talked mm-hmm. about last episode would fit in that and then also probably chan is missing oh yeah which is that uh wayne wang mm-hmm. film from 1980 that blew me away when i watched it last year i'd say that uh gets in there and I also watched, I don't know how to say this movie's <laughs> name. Maybe you do. No. So Is it French? 1968. No, it's just really long. <laughs> uh, so it's William Greaves, 1968. It's kind of a, it's a movie about symbio, symbio-psychotic taxiplasm or something yes. like that? symbio Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's or real. at least, I mean, you guys... Yeah, yeah, you get, <laughs> you it. get it. You get it. You know that word that we use every day. Yeah. <laughs> where it's, I mean, it's a little different because it's like a film within a film where it's him talking to the film crew and directing the actors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know people really love it, and I thought it was an interesting experiment. Yeah. But I have to admit that it, I struggled to pay yeah. attention. Uh, at least according to my notes in Letterboxd. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Yeah, I yeah. just was like, oh, I think this is probably really important at the time, but I'm struggling to stay up with it. 
I know. I do that like where I'm like, I applaud your concept here. Yeah. I just, the enjoyment. <laughs> We're talking about like pure enjoyment. Right. Maybe I'm not quite there. Not but quite there. <laughs> but yeah. I admire yeah. you and this idea. Yeah. It's no, I walk around Moscow. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you can watch on YouTube for free. Okay. Oh, all right. Yeah. Um, I mentioned A Man Vanishes, this sort of. Do, like kind of again like say the word meta like kind of a meta documentary um about uh like this specific man that vanished in uh <laughs> japan and so i um and that had a, a lot of other elements besides well, my takeaway that you know was i want to see more films uh from the continent of asia specifically japan south korea china and so I uh, I crushed it basically. I saw my first films by South Korean directors mm. Hong Sang Soo, and also Kim Ki Duk, two wildly different directors. But um, yeah, so I definitely want to explore uh, specifically more Hong Sang Soo. I mean, if I don't know, Kim Ki Duk has kind of a rocky reputation, yeah, for, like slapping at actors and yeah, stuff. So but, maybe uh, just back on up from that. <laughs> yeah, so I'll just kind of yeah. Um, but I also discovered, I mean, for myself, discovered the Japanese actor auteur. Uh, Juzo Itami, which we've mentioned before. I mean, Tampopo, Supermarket Woman, just delightful films. Um, and his films are still up on Criterion, so I have to watch the rest of them because he's just such a lovely man. Um, and then the South Korean film Accident that I mentioned before, uh, just like a personal fave. If you like a, a thriller, it's a good one. And then there's this like classic South Korean film, uh, The Housemaid from 1960, that I finally mm. watched. I'm always so proud of myself when I found it. Like, all right, I'm going to watch I'm a heavy it. hitter, you know, something that's been on the old Criterion <laughs> list yes. for quite a while. So yes. watch that as well. Well, it's a new year, new decade, so we thought we'd explore some new-to-us directors, <laughs> not not just new mm-hmm. to the scene. So, I mean, some hits, some misses, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's some that I watched and I was like, nothing, oh, yeah. don't want to talk about... Uh, some mo- real snoozes. Yeah, Mother and the Horror. I was like, I don't have anything to say except just, like, misogyny. The end. <laughs> I was like, I... That's I, your little it, note. It was like, long, misogynistic, the end. <laughs> anyway, sorry. And scene. And yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other, like, clunker. Or, you know what I mean? Just things that I'm like, didn't oh. want to explore. But anyway, I don't know. So I, it took me a while because I didn't realize... This is a brag, I guess a full-on brag, that I didn't realize how many directors I've seen one film of. Mm. So it took me a, a while yeah. without uh, wanting to s- just go back too far into the silent era <laughs> of, uh, you know, I don't know. So it, yeah. Yeah, it took me a minute to find some things. And then once watching them, be like, all right, I have at least a few things to say about this. Yeah, about well, you? that was the thing. I definitely watched some where I just didn't have anything to say or... There were some on my list that I just was having too hard of a time tracking down, and I was mm-hmm. like, well, it's hard for me, then it's hard for anybody else, so forget yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I sat through some snoozers and <laughs> didn't have anything to say about them, so yeah. I won't talk about them now, yeah. but I <laughs> rested three that are technically new to me. <laughs> All right. Um, well, my first one, uh, and also, these are kind of like heavy hitters because I was trying to make it like, okay, this is the time where... You know, I'm really going to try to tap into some, like, directors I've been putting off for a while. So, okay, um, these the are not, so these aren't, I mean, they're deep cuts. Like, I feel like if you're, like, a real big film nerd, you'll you'll probably know some of these. But uh, I'm sure the, the layperson will be like, what the hell are you talking about? I've never heard of this. So, um, my first one is Vampire. Uh, like, it's basically vampire without the uh, E on the end. Uh, but I, I was like, I assume I'm not phrasing up too bad by saying vampire. Uh, by Pierre uh, Portabella. Um, he's a Catalonian director. Uh, it's a 70-minute black-and-white experimental film shot on the set of the 1970 Jesus Franco film Count Dracula. So it might be a little confusing because there's also the dictator Franco. So I'll be like, there's so there's the director Franco, the dictator Franco. Okay. So if I say like this is an anti-Franco film he was making, like wait, the director? No. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
So from what I understand, again, this is my first exploration of his work, but uh, Portobello, like I said, is Catalonian. So he had previously made several anti-Franco, anti-fascist films. I think he made a lot of mostly shorts and, and kind of documentary shorts. So this film is a mixture of lively, often humorous, behind-the-scenes documentary filming uh, of the film, and then of the film uh, Count Dracula, and an, an echo of the the usual Dracula narrative, but, like, creepier, and it's mm. shot silently and kind of at a distance, like, you know, like, it's not right in the filmmaker's faces. So some of it's behind the scenes and some of it's like, there's the, the film that's happening and I'm kind of, you know, behind the bushes <laughs> filming it. There's like a smoke machine and there's this um, subtle industrial music over the top. So it actually, like like I said, at some points you see the actors kind of like hamming up from for the camera, but other times, so it's kind of like, oh, it's funny. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, this is pretty creepy stuff, you know, <laughs> almost creepier part than the actual film, which I'm assuming is, uh, Fringo's kind of known, uh, Jesus Franco is known for erotica. <laughs> so my favorite part probably has to be when um, one of the techs looks like they're holding this little portable fan and it's sp- like spitting out cobwebs. And I've always wondered how they mm. make like in films, you know, they'll be like, oh, there's a dusty old barn or something or whatever, yeah. a castle. And I'm like, I'm such a dummy. I'm like, I know there's a way they're making these cobwebs specifically in each corner on the like, candelabra or whatever but i've never known I'm like how the hell do they do it and so apparently i'm i don't there may be a new method today but it was just like this little like portable uh fan that they're just like this little you know with a little cage thing over it and it's just sputtering out like cotton candy cobweb oh, shit basically really? i know it's really interesting so i learned something too yeah um and the right o- for Halloween. I you know. know. I was like, I kinda want one, just kidding. Um the only dialogue is the last three minutes or so of the film where the late great Christopher Lee um reads a passage from oh. Bram Stoker's Dracula. And so that's just like a neat little How'd they get Christopher Lee? That feels like a big coup, right? Yeah, it yeah, might. definitely okay. for I mean it, he wasn't like 150 film or maybe oh, yeah, more than that. I, I guess that's true. He was, just... I hate to say he was in everything, but I think he was game for mm. anything. Um, and he was definitely he was like, down for whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> definitely a great Dracula. And so him reading this passage from Bram Stoker's was just, you know, charming. You got his golden voice. Yeah. So that was fun. Um, so even if you're not into experimental films, which I'm... I'm open to them. I'm not, like, super drawn to them. Yeah. But it has an eerie mood, and I think it'd be ideal for, like, if you have a, a stylish Halloween party to just oh. pop that on the wall, project that. Uh, and it's available for free on Canopy, and it's a few bucks on Amazon. So, okay. you know, check it out. Yeah. So, my uh, first movie, uh, I would say it's a little bit of a mixed bag. A little, <laughs> I'm not sure what to think about it. Yeah. So Let's unpack it. I'd never seen anything by the Dutch director Alex van Vommerdam. Vommerdam? That's the most Dutch name it's I've ever heard in my life. It's, Sorry. Yeah, it's Sorry. really true. Von Klogsch. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, I'm not sure this was his debut movie, but it's an early movie from 92 called The Northerners, or Der Noordenlingen. Uh, and... It's a this black comedy that's set in the early 60s in this housing development. So you have to think about it in this, I think the Dutch economy is just recovering from the war. And this housing development is basically, there's just this, they've leveled this entire forest and they've saved just this tiny little chunk of it. And then they have this one street that's this housing development. So there's just like these little row houses, mm-hmm. these little townhouses, and then a butcher and hardly anything. And so it's just this, um, I mean, it's actually analogous to how we had this post-war boom of these stupid little suburbs where all the houses, like the little boxes vibe mm-hmm. where every house was the same and they were separated from everything and it was just all white people mm-hmm. um, trying to escape the reality of <laughs> the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to think about this time in Dutch history um, you know, they obviously sent a lot of people to be murdered. Mm-hmm. A, Got that. B, this is the, and this is actually going on in the background of the movie. I mean, it is the time of the Pan-African movement and a time where some of the last shackles of colonialism in African countries are being thrown off. So uh, the... Basically, the last couple months of the life of Patrice Lumumba of 
what became the Dem- Democratic Republic of the Congo are playing very prominently in the background of this movie. Um, and it's very clear that this is um, a satire and a sort of skewering of this very conservative, hypocritical, small-minded middle class of Dutch society, white Dutch society mm-hmm. in this era. Again, very analogous to our own. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the the question I ha- always have with something like this is, is the is a director from that dominant culture the right person mm-hmm. to kind of yeah. reflect on this? Because mm-hmm. let me tell you, in the first couple minutes, you're seeing this little kid in full blackface. Oh, Because wow. he really, he loves Lumumba. Like, he wants to be Lumumba, but he's uh, a little Dutch kid, and he yeah. has these, obviously, shithead parents. I mean, I guess you can't blame him. a real young no. kid for do, right. You know, Jason, said that's obviously, but it's but also it's, this is the like, director's making a choice, choice to, to show, show that. Yeah. So I was yeah. just like, I don't know. There's a lot. And also, there. the Netherlands has such a, not that we can talk, but it's, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of problems. They have an equally with, problematic uh, yeah. history. Yeah. So um, it's just it is interesting. There's um, hypocritical and selfish kind of religious hysterics. There's there is a quite a bit of sexual violence. So that is something that should be known. I was okay with the way it was treated and why, but that's just something people should know. Yeah. And there's kind of a weird whole plot line with uh, a person who is brought back by Dutch missionaries from undetermined uh, country in Africa. Uh, and this kid wanting to liberate him like Lumumba. It's a whole mm. thing. And then mm. there's, a, there's a girl in the woods that I think, I mean... We were watching it, and I was like, is this supposed to be, like, Anne Frank? I know that sounds weird, but she's just, like, this girl in the woods who's kind of friends with the kid. And anyway. She's writing in a journal. Sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. It, it yeah. just goes. It's, like, I like some of the things it was doing. I definitely lack the specific Dutch national history yeah. context. to mm-hmm. Because I think that this movie is actually considered this really great piece of Dutch comedy and self-reflection. So oh, it is... Oh, wait, it's a comedy? <laughs> it's a black comedy. Okay, okay. Like, a really black comedy. And there are good yeah. parts, but I will say I watched a director's more recent movie, actually on Mubi, mm-hmm. uh, called Schneiderman vs. Bax, and it was great. And it was oh, just nice. this very taut kind of cat and mouse where these two guys, these two mm-hmm. guys are trying to, like, kill each other. Mm-hmm. And you can see the hints of what his style will become in this earlier movie. Mm-hmm. I just, like I said, I'm not sure it all worked together. Hmm. It's worth checking out. It's on, I think it's on Canopy and Prime. Okay. Anyway, The Northerners. Well, my second one is Landscape in the Mist, 1988 by Theo Angelopoulos. And shockingly, I think it's the, I think that he might be the um, only Greek director besides your your Lanthimos that I've seen. I mean, I'm Mm. sure there might be someone that I'm just not thinking Mm. of or aware of. But I was like, I don't know. I thought that was just kind of weird. Anyways, um, so I have heard of this director for some time. I knew he was well-regarded, and he made really, you know, artful films. But they were kind of hard to find, so I think that's what kind of kept... I mean, usually that doesn't keep me away. But but I think they were, like, extremely hard to find. Um, so yeah, there were several titles I was trying to choose from, um, and this one was available on a site that I don't want to say the name because I don't want to like blow up their spot, but we've talked about them. Oh yeah. And basically if you're into, um, hard to find films, uh, and if you want to know what the site is called, you can reach out to us on social media. Cause like I said, I don't know why I feel weird like blowing up their spot. Cause it's not just like, yeah, it's on Amazon Twitter and stuff, but yeah, yeah. I, so, we don't I mean, I'm sure it's fine, yeah. but I don't know. I, for some reason it'd feel weird if I get it. I, I agree. But it's a great site, and that's where I found this. Um, so the plot is um, a young sister and brother, ages maybe 12 and 7. I'm not good with ages. Okay? <laughs> You're like, so they're like, between. Yeah, they're four and teens and 20. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, they're being raised by a single mother who we actually never see, so it's it kind of starts out not physically like POV, but like kind of through the eyes of the child. And like we, um, we never see the mom. Um, and apparently they've always been told that their father, who's not around, like lives in Germany. And so the children, like pretty much immediately, like that's all we know. It's like that and like the children run away and sneak onto a train, um, so they can travel to Germany to find their father who they know nothing about. They don't know his name, his description of what he looks like, where he works, the Uh city he lives in. And which will come up later of like, 
Yeah, I'm just saying the whole time, like, so how are you going to find him, sweetie? <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, and does he exist? Uh, so that becomes part of it. Uh, eventually, yeah, someone questions, like, maybe your mom was telling you a tale just to kind of give you something to think, you know, yeah. just, like, dream about. Um, so they keep getting caught by the conductor of the train, and then they keep, like, kind of hopping off or, like, just jumping back on the train. And eventually they meet a band of actors and befriend this lovely, like, hunky, perfect, I mean, I guess 88, but I think of him as, like, a 90s guy because he's wearing, like, jeans and he's got floppy Ooh, hair or whatever. Yeah. He's in his 20s. And um, he ends up being sort of a father figure, older brother to them along the way. And, he, and they keep kind of finding each other. As they keep traveling north, they keep, like, running into him. And... Um, the kids are struggling to eat, to stay warm, to find their way to Germany. Because I'm like, how would you even know which trains to take? I don't know. Anyway, let's <laughs> this express train. I don't know. Um, and like I said, all the while, their father's existence kind of seems less and less likely. More to the audience, not to them. They never question it. And some magical, life-affirming things. Not like magical, but, you know, just really lovely, life-affirming things happen to them. And then some ghastly, oh. heartbreaking things happen to them, which, because, of course, in your mind, you're like, oh, if there's two kids on their own, mm. someone's really going to take advantage. So trigger warning on sexual assault. There's really, I mean, it, it's off screen, but it's still, ugh. So it's like, it's handled well. As much as, I mean, what can you say about that kind of thing? Anyways, yeah, it's handled as well as a thing can be handled, but uh, it's heartbreaking, obviously. The ending is left open, but you can pretty easily deduce what happens to them and, and like their fate um it is slow paced with little dialogue so it may not be for everyone but um i just happen to be kind of in the mood for that right then so it was just i don't know i was really uh, uh enjoying it but the composition is impeccable the the director seems to use extras um like film extras in this architectural way like placing them perfectly in, in each shot. Um, sometimes they're completely still, and sometimes there'll be like these lively scenes playing out in the background, sort of out mm. of focus, so that like so every shot is this fully realized, rich uh, tableau, and there's just like it's like he's trying to fill this the frame with as much life as possible. Mm. And I, I thought that was really interesting because yeah. not a lot of directors really think about. I mean, I'm sure they do, and maybe I'm just missing it. Yeah. But I was at least hyper aware of like, wow, every. I mean, we always say this, like, it gives good still, or yeah. <laughs> but it really does. Um, and, I've, I, and I think it's interesting when a director cares as much about the background as the foreground. Mm. I just appreciate that. Um, and so if you want to know how to find it, you can DM us. I don't know why I'm being so coy about this. I don't know why. you just, don't want to ruin your... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't want it to go away. It's a really great site. Um, and it involves a lot of work for the curator. Yeah, so, so that's why I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's these are probably films that are a deep enough cuts probably, yeah. that no one is like cares enough to like yeah exactly worry about copyrights. But yeah, just basically DM us if you want the site. I mean, it's not like a big lock yeah. and key, no. <laughs> you know, cloak and dagger <laughs> yeah. thing. I just I just did. I don't know why. It, I get it. I'm, I'm I I concur with your decision. Yeah, I just when you love something so much, you don't want to go away. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so my next pick, I believe this is this director's only film as a director, and I bet you've seen it, although it seems like suddenly it's more available and a higher quality, mm-hmm. so maybe worth a rewatch. Mm. Uh, Old Boyfriends, directed by Joan Tewksbury. I have been wanting to watch that. It's okay. on Canopy uh, now. Oh my Surprise! God. Yeah. Because um, I actually tried to watch uh, a version before, and it was just this terrible like VHS rip and I just mm-hmm. gave up because I was like I can't I can't yeah. actually tell what's going on. Yeah. Um so Tewksbury wrote Nashville. What? <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm double checking that, but yeah, that's how I know of her. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. She wrote Nashville. And so this movie was actually co written by a Paul Schrader and his brother. But I think it was originally conceived as oh, I mean Okay, so let's put it this way. I know it is well known that basically Tewksbury, like, tore apart the script and rewrote it and, like, made it good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I would say it's an earlier, better and darker high fidelity in a sense. So Talia Shire plays this woman whose marriage dissolves and she decides it becomes pretty clear 
what she's doing, she goes and finds her old boyfriends and oh, basically okay. tries to figure out, like, oh. you know, she, like, revisits. I mean, yeah. literally diary-wise. Yeah. I'm like, so High Fidelity's a rip-off rip of this. Off. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know, but yeah, there's just no way that that novel was written before 1979, so. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, she, but again, it's, like I said, it's a lot darker. Yeah. Uh, so she goes back and finds these old boyfriends, and um, it's not... I don't want to say it was interesting to be reading some reviews of it from critics and like community members because I think people were like, "Oh, it's like a revenge movie," and like she's some kind of deranged woman. I'm like, this seems fair to me. Like all these dudes sucked and <laughs> yeah. they deserve what's coming to them. I mean, it's not it's not like a slasher movie or anything like uh-huh. that. Like just to be clear, I think mm-hmm. that's not a that's not a spoiler to say. It's more just like, oh, like you are going to go back through and revisit these relationships that. Mm-hmm. Worked or didn't. Uh, it does feature... <laughs> this is funny. It features John Belushi, which there's he wasn't actually in too many film roles, but he plays this has-been rocker who now has this tux rental service. And there's a really <laughs> funny scene where he's performing... Um, I think Jailhouse Rock at a prom and thinks he's like really doing like he's really impressing like, Talia Shire like yeah. oh baby oh, yeah, yeah. Holiday Inn like ballroom <laughs> yeah and it's worth it for that and it's there's a scene where she's waiting for him to meet her in her hotel room and she looks so amazing mm. I'll try to get a still of that yeah. uh, but basically it's you can feel the fingerprints of Paul Schrader, maybe that it's like, oh, she's a crazy woman. Like, what's mm-hmm. she going to do? But yeah. I think that you can tell that it takes Brie really tried to, like, wrench, yeah. keep the car on the, on yeah. the track. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, oh, Keith Carradine is in it. Ooh, as that, then that's, that segment is a little well, interesting. Well, a little dicey. strange. It's a little <laughs> dicey. Well, basically, she goes back to find, again, it's not like a spoiler, she goes back to find her first childhood love and he died in vietnam and his brother is his younger brother is the only one that's survived so she it's a it's a whole thing <laughs> she's like well i guess i have to have sex with you now or something well, maybe maybe <laughs> uh but i just thought you know there were some things that were a little clunky about it but i was like damn i'm so glad this is available now because it's like exactly the kind of movie i want mm-hmm. and i was just like, feeling really tired of men when i watched it and <laughs> it was satisfying in that yeah. way and i think that women watching it will find her deeply relatable frankly yeah. and i think it's great acting from talia shire so okay. super worth it and like i said there's actually like a nice print um that now is digital and on canopy all right. I can't wait. Yeah. Okay. I've been wanting to watch that for a while. Well, okay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, Meg. I want all your thoughts and feelings oh, on right. uh, my last pick, Fireworks, 1997, by uh, the actor-director uh, Takeshi Kitano. And this is quite a head-scratcher. Um, so, okay. Well, first I'll just do the synopsis. Uh, a cop, played by the director, is struggling with the recent death of his young daughter and also with his terminally ill wife and yeah. just her diagnosis and his, you know, final, you know, few months with her. He's haunted by some other incidents as well. One of his fellow officers was shot and killed in the line of duty. And then recently, another friend and fellow officer is shot uh, on the job and must use a wheelchair. Um, and also, it's kind of a subplot, that officer's journey through his recovery becomes a B-plot to the film. The injured detective experiments with many arts and crafts to fill his day and find enrichment in his new life. And there's a sort of interlude where we're shown at least a dozen of this man's paintings, mostly <laughs> animals with flowers as their heads. <laughs> and actually, during this section, I made a joke to James I was like, these are the director's own paintings. They, I, they yeah. are. Yeah, and then we looked up at their work. I was like, I knew it. I was just like, <laughs> he was like, I don't know. We need some, like, really brilliant paintings here. What if, I mean, I paint, but I you guess. Know, um, <laughs> there's something about the paintings in this movie. Like, they were part of him, like, helping to regain motor function after a motorcycle accident or something. Mm. Like, there's, it's like, a weird thing with that. Because, you know, he's the actor and the director. Like, he's yeah, yeah. directing himself. Okay, so like he a- actually went through a recovery yeah. thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, like, that's why he has that scar, I think. I just didn't think about that. Anyway, um, that's just a side thing. While, okay, so, you know, we got that 
kind of B plot of that uh, character kind of finding his own purpose in life because it also mentioned like randomly like well since I got injured my uh, my oh, wife yeah. and child left me I'm like well your child left you too <laughs> like they sound like dicks so uh, there's that happening and then actually ends up being kind of a really interesting I don't know if heartwarming is the word or life affirming but it's just kind of this interesting. Uh, you don't yeah. see that a lot of cop films where I was injured on the job and now I'm trying to find like a new purpose yeah. in life through art. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so while this character is uh, trying to find new purpose in his life in the B plot, uh, I'll just call him Takeshi because I can't remember his character name. Takeshi, the lead, the director, is hounded by the Yakuza to pay off some debts. He does some nefarious things, I won't spoil, to, um, to get square with them. And that kind of is almost like a red herring it's kind of just like brushed aside that like, that kind of a plot to a point of like oh yep i squared away with him it's fine um but much like us uncut gems uh, nothing's ever finished with those kind of guys and uh so takeshi and his wife go on a road trip so she can have kind of one last trip before you know she becomes too ill to travel or before she dies and um so, and I, and I won't spoil it. The Well, I don't know. Don't I kind of want to talk about the ending, but also I don't want to spoil it. But, um, yeah, so after about, like, when I started the film, after about 15 or 20 minutes, I assumed I had spaced out and missed something because the dialogue kept um, being repeated and events would loop back and be re-shown in a different context, sometimes in light, enlightening and sometimes more obfuscating. Um, but, yeah, so it took me a minute to be like, oh, no, that's just the film. I yeah. didn't. Space. I mean, I guess I was spaced out to a point, but I was like, oh, nope, they, they, they're just jumping into it and choosing to repeat uh, points of dialogue. Um, so the tone is a little bit of all over the place. One minute it's very drab and emotionless, and then there'll be some really goofy off-the-wall mm-hmm. violence, and then there's some genuinely sweet, funny moments with his wife. Yeah, usually after watching a film, I'll, you know, or as I'm watching, after watching a film, I'll kind of try to assess their, their references for the film. And like, oh, I wonder who, what filmmakers were influential for the, you know. And then this one, I don't know if I could really crack it. Well, so you haven't uh, seen any of his other movies, right? I haven't right? seen and Yeah, okay. and actually, when I was going into this, I ended up watching this uh, because it was available on Tubi and Canopy for free. So, um, but I, I kind of wanted to see, is it Sonatine? Yeah. Or, I'm not sure the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, but that was the either. first one that kind of, um, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch that one first. But then this one was just a little bit easier to access. So I yeah. ended up watching this. So maybe with his other films, well, he's it just, all he's made sense. a it, Well, <laughs> I mean, the ones that I've seen are much more like like really violent like crime thrillers. Mm-hmm. So this was really an interesting contrast in a way. Yeah. I think for me, I can just say for me, it's almost a perfect movie. Like really? exactly. That is so yes. funny to me. Um, so sparse, so melancholy. Um, I read, so, oh, I'm trying to think if this was before we went on a trip or whatever, but I read about this concept of mono no oware in Japanese, like, literature and culture, and it's, like, I think it literally translates to, like, empathy for things or pathos of things, and it's this idea of, like, the sensitivity to the line between, like, happiness and sorrow and life and death and sort of the um, inexorable transience of life. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie really hits on that yeah. so beautifully that it's like the so the juxtaposition of the humor and the violence and then the sort of wistful sorrow of mm-hmm. loss is all just in constant dialogue with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I love sparse plots and sparse dialogue. I think it looked great. I think it was so stylish, uh, so minimal. And yeah, it's like exactly <laughs> what so it's funny. Exactly I'll never fully. You're such a riddle of like you know. I think there is a lot an internal logic to it, but that's okay. I live inside my yeah. brain. Well, and it's sometimes like you know, after I watch a movie, I'll be yeah. like, not to say like would I've come up with that story? Like I'm a great you know film writer. I'm just I'm like, but there's some stories. I'm like, oh yeah, that totally like. I don't know how to say this. I could see coming up with that plot, you know, or whatever. Yeah. This one, I'm like, I don't think I would ever come to this story if I were writing like, yeah. I'm gonna write a, a film about a cop and like so I don't yeah I'm wondering what his references were well I, I do don't think know. it's like it's definitely in dialogue with a lot of uh Japanese and Korean sort of crime thrillers it's just taking it in a slightly different tone yeah. I mean I think plot wise point by point it's actually not that much of a departure yeah I, I guess say. not but I think maybe you were thrown off by the tone. And then that B plot and like, yeah. I mean, which it was all great. Yeah. yeah. So if you want something that 
is, you know, I mean, obviously we we're here because we want to watch films that are yeah. interesting and strange yeah. and, and I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. So yeah, if you want something that's truly surprising, I would say yeah, watch I this. Just, ugh, I really felt, I'm like, yes, this is exactly. And, and Joel <laughs> really loves it too. Yeah. So I can say that it, yeah. it's, really, it's like, are you a Lars or are you a Meg? Oh, you know, it's true. We should do like a, a BuzzFeed <laughs> yeah, quiz. Like a Samantha or a Miranda. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, speaking of interesting and, <laughs> well, very enjoyable to me, but, I like, this is a movie that I, I don't know if I think it's objectively good, but it looks incredible and is a treat, was a treat, a treat for me. Yeah. <laughs> Even if there are probably things where I'm like, oh, is this weird? So, uh, we watched Diamantino. It is a Portuguese film. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look up the directors. I definitely hadn't seen anything by them. But uh, Gabriel Abrantes and Daniel Schmidt. And, okay. So it's not Ronaldo, but it's supposed to be Ronaldo. <laughs> so basically this soccer star who is one of God's own idiots. <laughs> like, truly, he introduces himself, and he is like, it's just me out there, and the fluffy puppies. And he imagines the other soccer players, these big, fluffy Pekingese puppies that he's playing with, and it's very surreal. The whole thing is um, shot on 16 millimeters, so it actually looks really fantastic, huh. FYI. He misses the essential goal in port for Portugal in the World Cup and basically like falls from grace mm-hmm. and then has his family tragedy and he gets taken taken advantage of by his two evil sisters <laughs> like they're literally <laughs> twins who are just these wicked funny as I mean, all twins are I'm yeah just, <laughs> just evil and abusive and terrible yeah. um and they oh this movie is so absurd that it it's sounds really pretty hard. wacky. <laughs> So they basically, he's so dumb, bless him. and they basically have him acting these commercials for this Portuguese nationalist group that's trying, like very like America First style, trying mm. to get them to secede from the EU, and he doesn't know what he's doing, so they just have him acting as this Portuguese warrior, and these, and then there's a whole B plot with him, or maybe a main plot with him. They're experimenting on him, this sort of nationalist group to try to find the perfect Portuguese man to like mm-hmm. be in the World Cup and be the Ubermenschen, I guess, yeah. of Portugal. Yeah. And meanwhile, because his sisters are laundering money through him, uh, the this intelligence service is spying on him, and so they send a black lesbian officer undercover as a teen orphan refugee (laughs) that he needs to adopt. Oh, right, because he's haunted by the fact that once he was on his yacht and he saved (laughs) this woman from a refugee boat. So there's kind of, it does touch on contemporary issues, but he's like, I know what I'll do with my life. I'll adopt like a teen refugee. And so he does, and he doesn't question that it's obviously this woman. Yeah, it's a full-grown woman. And then it just all kind of goes from there. And there's some (laughs) kind of maybe dicey things. Yeah probably related to like gender and relationships i would say but this movie is so absurd that it doesn't really matter you just kind of got to go with it and it looks cool and is ridiculous and it's just kind of like it takes you on a wild ride so i actually Mm. think you might enjoy it because it's like where is this going yeah and like i've never felt so much like love and empathy for like a dumb hunk in a movie where you're Mm. like oh you're just trying your best yeah (laughs) like you're so stupid (laughs) yeah uh this is truly one of the best depictions of like a dumb innocence I've ever seen and I'm like has Ronaldo the soccer star seen this and yeah. is he smart enough to know what it it's a biopic now yeah <laughs> basically expose uh, yeah it's but it's oh it's a it's a treat and I haven't seen anything like it recently yeah so it's on Amazon Prime and I think it's somewhere else too but it's it's worth it's worth yeah. a watch for sure. I love that our last two are pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. We're taking you on a bumpy road yeah. here. All right, we are going to build the worst pitch possible. And we've struggled with this before because we try to save it unintentionally. Yeah. And I think we just need to really say, 
this time, mm-hmm. our game is going to be, we each bring two, I mean, we always bring two elements unknown yeah. to one another, but we're bringing two elements we d- despise, mm-hmm. and we're trying to pitch something we would, like a, a horrible Frankenstein's monster of terror that yeah. that shivers our timbers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think we have a working title that yeah. Lars found. So um, just, I was trying to find a, you know, a bad weird title mm-hmm, along the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, on that, the beloved site that I shall not name unless you DM me. Uh, sorry, I'm not trying to be coy. It's a real thing. It's not like any weird inside joke. It's a real, <laughs> anyway. Um, but okay, on there, I just happened to come across this title. Oh my God. Um, I even hate to say this out loud. It's so, <laughs> it's so gross. Um, it's, it's a 1971 film. Uh, young, uh, so the movie's a uh, young girl's imaginary friend, blah blah blah. But it's called Mr. Horatio Nibbles. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate that. Yeah, I think or yeah, no, I hate it. Um, <laughs> it sounds like something a precious person would name their rabbit, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think that works for us. Okay. Ooh. So okay. Um, okay, so there's the title, and you're leading. Yeah. So, like, so I'll let's just get into go it for yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would say that my hated elements are, uh, talk about one person's trash is another's treasure, yeah. because I'm like, I hate these things, and you have to hear about it. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's so, what we're doing here. So. My nightmare uh-huh. is Kristen Stewart. <gasps> Can't okay. act, no affect. I've, I've had this before. I despise her. She is not a good actress. Okay, we're we're, we're at odds with this, but I'll go with it. I'm just gonna oh I'm God. just gonna be in your corner. Our paths. Okay, I'm on board. She no. Okay, okay. I despise her. She right, can't I'll... act worth a goddamn. So watching her in a movie directed by Joanna Hogg and okay. playing and then, a poor little rich girl. Okay, okay. <laughs> and is my nightmare. Joanna Hogg. That sounds really familiar. So what that's the souvenir else? and the exhibition. I know her name. Okay, so she was like, she's this darling. People loved okay, okay. this movie. Let me tell you, this movie, The Souvenir, is just about this, it's autobiographical, which is totally reasonable. Once I found that out, I was like, this is too precious to not be about this director. Mm-hmm. She even apparently painstakingly had her own pied de terre that her parents paid for when she was in film school recreated so that she could have this movie about when she was a poor little rich girl in art school and this guy was a heroin addict and swept off her feet and then, like, died and died and left her high and dry. Okay. It's the most boring movie on the planet and everyone loves it. And I was like, I am so tired of these basic-ass rich people and their imaginary problems. I can't believe I watched this. But let me just say, that's okay. my nightmare. Okay. Cool. An ostensibly, supposedly sympathetic protagonist who doesn't do anything, is just like a limp fish on the screen. Mm -hmm. And someone who really can't, I mean, there's just the film quality here. It's just... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Digital, too. I get it. Yeah. And, you know, Marty produced it, but I just... Wow. He's he's very supportive. He's supportive grandpa. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's my basic. Okay. Well, I was going maybe broader, but still, uh, Rebel Wilson... I don't. I've never found <laughs> I love her. This combo. Okay, I know it's. <laughs> I mean, this is already yeah. shit. Um, yeah, I. I just have never found her funny, for one second, and nothing she's ever said. I mean, okay, I'm not they, saying I they hate, definitely you know. went to. They went to private boarding school together. Okay, right. That's gotta be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's your other? Well, basically. <laughs> first person like pov shit which doesn't come up a whole lot it's more of like a found footage kind of thing i guess it comes on <laughs> so i will just say you know it can just be an element that's in there yeah. maybe one of them is like drunk or on drugs so there's like a oh, segment where there's like yeah. a, or a dream or something so i'm just gonna say the only thing i've ever seen where i like the pov is peep show that's the only yeah. people i've ever been able to and pull it, it off it does take getting used to it did it took me like a whole season of getting yeah. used to it, and then i was like i love this yeah um to where i don't even see it i anymore. don't even see it yeah. but it's true that I can see, yeah, I don't generally like it. Yeah. So let's just say that's more of a dream. Because even, even now I'm like, that's too much. That's too <laughs> shitty. Too you know? <laughs> I can't do it. No, or actually, well, that would be the worst. What if it was just like through like a uh, a tormented rich girl's eyes? Yeah. Ugh. Okay, sorry. We have to just, we have to really get into Okay. Yeah. yeah it's full. It's all POV. Full. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. all POV. Ugh. And they are 
Well, like, Horatio we, Nibbles, yeah. is it like, do you think that it's like one of them, like their rabbit died? Yeah, I'm <laughs> trying so to think if like, or is that like their imaginary their friend imaginary. or something? Or is that like their drug dealer's name oh, like or a something? Joke. It's like a joke that they always refer to. Yeah, I'm each trying other. to think. Something. And it's just like a long movie about their friendship. And their like, own like inside down, jokes. But like shit. breaking down and like not getting along. Yeah, it's just about like rich people and drugs. Ugh, I hate this song. It's hard for me to even finish these <laughs> sentences. And like pettily fighting. You know, when we were in Kyoto a few months ago, we were sitting next at a table next to these girls who were Americans. I mean, sorry to say from New Jersey, but they were. And they were having one of those one of those friend fights where they were like, I well, I'm just trying to pick things that you would like. Oh my travel fights are the oh, they just Yeah. They're like an IKEA fight. It It cuts you to the bone, you know. Yeah. So maybe these girls (laughs) Can they just be in an IKEA the whole time? (laughs) Oh yeah, there we go. Well, I think maybe they should be on maybe they like graduated college together and now they're on a trip around Europe together and they're And it's, but it's supposed to, it's like sad. It's Joanna Hogg. So it's like, it's sad. Oh, it's like sad. one of them, like, mm, what are they going to do with their lives? But they're just yeah. fighting the whole time and kind of like picking at each other. Like uh, pedaling, so picking like at each other. So queen of, what's it called? Queen of Earth? Yeah. But oh, like, I like that. Movie. I know, but I'm <laughs> saying, but like, but like the worst version of that. Yeah, the worst <laughs> like version that, yeah. of that. Because it should bad be acting. worse than it is. You know what I mean? Because it, yeah, premise wise, it, it should be It worse. should be like my nightmare, yeah. But I think it gets lifted up by the performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But this is going to be just limp. Maybe Mr. Horatio Nibbles is like the drug dictator or something. Yeah, and it's like, maybe, maybe my director is the wrong no, I think person that, for this. But she's not. I mean, her movies are so dull. Like, I don't know if you're you're adding a next level of excitement that's Ugh, just physically well, not present. Like, <laughs> no do you want to watch a couple and an artist couple in their house being silent? Well, there'll <laughs> be plenty of that in, in this. Yeah, so. okay. I guess they'll yeah, just be like so hungover they can't talk. And it's just like, you know, where it's like the ambient sound, you know, and it's just like filming. It's the ambient yeah, sound and this is them just like eating cereal yeah. on their underwear on a yeah. couch. Yeah. <laughs> like a nice couch, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, now it's time for what's been on our radar, uh, what we've been watching, what we intend to watch, and what we are warning you against, perhaps. Um, well, for me, uh, <laughs> Mr. Horatio Nibbles, oh, sorry, <laughs> that also makes me a little sick to say that, um, Year of the Rabbit. Um, so our beloved Matt Berry is, uh, and this is solving crimes in kind of like Ripper era London, and um so I've only been able to track it down on Daily Motion, which is, oh, is a site I don't mind blowing up, you know, just to blow up their spot. Yeah, so um, it's a little hard to track down. And maybe if you have, like, a cable situation or something, you can, but a little tricky. But mm-hmm. Year of the Rabbit, um, yeah, if you love Matt Berry and Toast of London and all that, then I think you'll like this. Um, I've been watching a lot of Lodge 49, which is this, like, shaggy dog of a show that... No one's talking about it except to say that no one's talking about it. Like, that's the only mention oh, I see. It's super, like, it happens Here's in the, the NBA so much. You'd be like, no one's ever talking, talking about, about this play. And you're like, okay, at this point now he's overrated. Not, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's overrated. Except on this the guy. only articles are that he's underrated yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, um, in a nutshell, it stars Wyatt Russell, who is the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. So, I'm just, I'm so endeared to this guy. Yeah. Like, he was also in Everybody Wants Some. Um, and some other things. And I um, I know we've all been wondering who the modern-day Jeff Bridges is, but we found him. It's Wyatt <laughs> Russell. Let's just get over it and move past it. Was, yeah. Anyway, um, it has been canceled, uh, but there's two seasons available on Hulu. It okay. is... It's just about friendship and community, and it's really lovely. And anyway, so um, James and I are completely enjoying it. Um, Comfort and Joy um, is a 1984 film by Bill Forsyth. It is, like, one of my favorite Christmas movies now. I found it on Boxing Day. So right after Christmas, I was like, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it happens to be a Christmas movie. Um, I'll probably shoehorn it in in some future episode. Um, But suffice it to say, it is about a real-life um, turf war between 
Glasgow ice cream makers, and it, that really happened. It was more <laughs> drugs-related, but it kind of took that away. Anyway, and it's about a local radio DJ that ends up being this, like, unintentional go-between between these two warring factions. So, um, yeah, it's just, a, it's just a lovely little film. So, how about you? So, hard to say. i got to look at my list here. But I will say that... Uh, you must remember this. Karina Longworth now mm-hmm. has a little spinoff oh, yeah. series called Make Me Over, which mm-hmm. I am so sure, based on knowing <laughs> her taste, that it is a reference to Celebrity Skin by Hole. I definitely <laughs> know. I know that's a reference she's making. Like, I fully know. Yeah. And it's all about Hollywood and the beauty industry. And so I listened to the first episode about uh, Molly O'Day and the weight loss surgery they mm. used to have available to you back in the day. Oh, it's horrible. Yikes. It destroys your health so bad. But it's just so interesting. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was such a great way for her to kind of branch out and bring in um, colleagues who write about that stuff. Yeah. So definitely check that out. I am enjoying it very much. I also watched something that I mentioned on Radar previously. Uh, I think the last episode I mentioned... Volcano by Roman Bondarchuk and said I wanted to watch the documentary that he made prior to that called mm. Ukrainian Sheriffs about these oh, yeah. two guys who are sheriffs in this little village. <laughs> so good and uh, brutal and heartbreaking and really funny. And if you have a great interest in uh, Slavic culture, Eastern European culture, village life, Black comedy humor, uh, I totally recommend it. It's around on various things. <laughs> I also watched Spectaculo, which is a documentary by the guy who did the Marwin Call documentary. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Jeff Malmberg. And so basically, it is about these people in this village in Tuscany who... I think since World War II started putting on these um, plays where they turned their lives into a play each year and uh, many people in the village got involved. So each year they put on a play that would address some issue in the village Hmm. or issue in their history. And I think one of the early ones was them staging their experience of having the fascists try to kill everybody in the village because they had been hiding... Uh, the partisans and it, it's just so fascinating the way this like village has gone through obviously a ton of changes it's in you know it's a poor more agricultural part of italy that now is undergoing changes because of tourism and just the way that they're kind of struggling to hold on to this tradition because i mean honestly the first thing i thought watching this i was like one play a year, that's just too frequent. <laughs> like, I, yeah. like, you got it every year, other right? year or yeah. something. Um, and just to have people, you know, different falling out, fallings out have uh, led to fewer people being involved and they're not sure how long they can keep it going. And it's just tied up with the economic history of the region and the country. Mm-hmm. And it's just so incredibly good and beautiful. One of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. So I definitely recommend Spectaculo. And I think that's it for me. Yeah. I've, I've seen a ton of other stuff, but it's it's like crap. I don't <laughs> yeah. really want to recommend it. Yeah. Um, I watched Effects, which is a movie. I, Wait, the horror movie? The horror movie yeah. made by the friends of, uh, what's his name? The Pittsburgh guy. <laughs> that could be anyone. Uh, it's. George Romero. Oh, okay. All of his friends. I liked the concept of that, right? Or I'm trying to think of, like, I, right? I mean, is, like, the idea of what it could have been, but it wasn't. It's such, I don't remember it being, like, Yeah, good. it was just, like, so poorly done and so yeah. just, like, stupid. Yeah. I, it just, the the idea is ripe for somebody to yeah, make that's a good what I'm version. Saying. Yeah. But execution-wise, you're like, oh, these people no. are honestly doing way too much cocaine. And, like, they <laughs> yeah. don't, they can't <laughs> yeah. get it together to make a movie happen. No. So I wouldn't. I don't, wouldn't even recommend taking a look at it. Frankly. Yeah, I know it's a shame because it's like a, a good. Yeah, there's something there concept-wise, but but not in the execution. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to keep up with us and leave us a review if you're really nice. You can also get our recommendations for these. We're really overselling this. It's like film site but Sorry. if you're curious <laughs> yeah. uh, you can reach out uh, Instagram at storyboard podcast Twitter at storyboard underscore pod 
Gmail. Hmm. Storyboard pod at gmail.com. <laughs> I, I can't pull up my notes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, do message. we say anything <laughs> just else? Do things. <laughs> just say hi. Just say hi. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, recommend stuff because I've certainly had really great recommendations that I've ended up really loving. So. Yeah, if you have any um, themes you want us to explore, uh, we're definitely very open in 2020. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we're cultivating a sense of openness. Yeah, here. a very goopian uh, yeah. sense we're of. We're just steaming our vaginas and just <laughs> letting all the jade eggs right on in, like spiders. Mmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, till next time. Lunar. Happy New Year is like you can say it till the end of January. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, after that, like you're, you're crazy if you, you say it. You may as well have a Christmas tree up in March, which actually is like one of the saddest things in the world to me when people have Christmas trees up like in February. I'm like, oh, such so... neglect and sadness. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, are you dead and your cat's eating your face? <laughs>